It's time for the film crickets with Jay Fortier and Chris Martineau. Good evening, good afternoon, and good day, everybody. This is uh, Chris Martineau with my friend Jay Fortier. Yeah, that's right, and we are the film crickets. And today we have, believe it or not, a guest. It's amazing. We actually reached out across the United States and found this man who is native of New England, but actually currently resides in in the Bay Area of California and hosts his own podcast, which I will let him introduce in a moment. We got Paul Sullivan. Please say hello. Thank you very much. Let me write my name on the chalkboard here. <laughs> Boy, that was a really timely reference by me. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm the host of uh, uh, Locked On MLB. I've also hosted uh, the Bull Durham Minute, for those of you who are Movie by Minute fans. I've been a TV producer. I have an Emmy nomination for my trouble. Worked on a couple of very good TV shows and a couple of very bad TV shows. Some of the good ones include The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and Axemen on History Channel and my favorite job I ever had, which was the Bonnie Hunt show. I adore Bonnie Hunt and I adore working with her. I've been a filmmaker and writer and uh, stand-up comedian and I've acted in a few things. And if you're a baseball fan and a Red Sox fan, you may recognize my face from the HBO documentaries Curse of the Bambino and Reverse of the Curse of the Bambino. And um, just thrilled to be talking about this wonderful movie. Did I tip my hand of what I think about the film a little bit? Maybe just a little bit there? It's perfectly fine. That's all right. Really pleased to talk about Risky Business in any way, shape, or form. Call me Sully. It's, you know, Paul Francis Sullivan is my full name, but call me Sully. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So, so as, as we said before, uh, we in the film credits, we pick a movie from the 1980s and 1999 randomly. But this one was weird because we actually had a listener request. So they, they asked us to do Risky Business, which was something we had thought about in the infancy of this uh, podcast. And so I had never seen it. I don't know. We were due to watch it. Jay had seen it. I had never seen it. The only thing I saw from this movie was, of course, that wedding standard, old time rock and roll and half naked Tom Cruise. And the only other thing I saw from this movie was the train scene at the and again, tipping my hand, but believe it or not, hey, Tom Cruise actually has sex with somebody. So that's at the end of the movie. So that's the only thing I remember from this from 1983. I'd never actually seen it. I was actually curious to to see how this held up for something I had this so iconic, but I had never seen. So Jason, I will turn back to you and say, how do you want to start this I mean, movie? If you think about it, he has this weird dream sequence with the band Tangerine Dream playing in the background, which is just great. They set the tone nicely throughout most of the film kind of like a haunting keyboard sound it's funny because he's narrating and he's going he enters the neighbor's house and he goes up the stairs and he sees some girl that he doesn't even recognize that doesn't live there that she's uh, taking a shower and it's it's really comforting to see her lip sync to his voice mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah oh yeah That's very sexual when when you hear tom cruise's voice weird. coming out of a lady yeah. Oh, yeah. so yeah and then it's just some sort of a thing where it's basically tying in the moment where he's desperate about sex at this point in his life he's a 17 year old i guess and he's mixing that with the pressure of trying to get into college that those are the two things that are important to him right now and i think they're basically saying that i want to posit a question to my guest and my and and to to jay is tom cruise a virgin i think so yeah i mean i mean i just say joel is joel a virgin i I think i absolutely think he is and i think that he is there's a thing about this film that the use of tangerine dream as the music which is was intentionally picked by the writer director paul brickman which I heard in an interview, he did not want to have music that had little stings that told you where to laugh. He wanted it to be something more that was uh, tonal rather than right. giving you audio cues. I think that this beginning really establishes something of his, you know, the character of Joel being in a, a comfortable place, a very comfortable setting, and him wanting to explore his sexual curiosity, but he's mm-hmm. afraid it will ruin his life. And in this, he seeks mm-hmm. sexuality, and then he winds up you know, missing the the college boards, <laughs> the test that he was taking, that even in his right. own fantasy, mm-hmm. he can't even fantasize mm-hmm. about it without it somehow interfering with reality. I absolutely think that he's a virgin when they talk about sex later with uh, oh yeah that that he he is you know every it's it's that classic high school kind of banter of people acting like they know more than they know but when you you give it any you give it any cross-examination they don't even know what the terms mean Mm -hmm. and 
talking about, well, what would you do if this was here? You got the, you know, the whole theme of the film of, am I allowed to swear on this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole idea of sometimes you got to say what the fuck Mm -hmm. it was based on his inability to go after his his Mm -hmm. what he wants so absolutely he's a virgin yeah i I got two things to say that first of all you hit on one of my pet peeves is when you know a movie is lousy when the music is telling me how i should feel it assumes that the movie then assumes that i'm stupid and i don't know how to deal with the situation so the fact that you bring up this whole tangerine the- dream thing. It's kind of ethereal and it lets me decide mm-hmm. how I'm supposed to feel about what he's thinking, which I appreciate in any movie. Even if I don't like the movie, you don't think I'm stupid. I thank you for that very right. much. And also, I, I like your point that you made is that they are totally clueless. And in fact, his own fantasies are informing the decisions he's trying to make, but cannot follow through on basically anything. He can't pull the trigger. And if you're a, he's a virgin sexually then, and he's a virgin as a person, Mm -hmm. he cannot follow through. He can't pull the trigger. He can't complete the deed as it were of his own life because he's still under the umbrella of, and everybody is when you're a teenager or the umbrella of your parents' house, but he's trying to push out of that. That's why in those opening scenes saying, yes, dad, I'll do it. Yes, dad, I'll water the lawn. Yes, dad, I won't do that. And that's so on and so he, forth. He wants to push out of it. He wants to experience rebellion. But as we see that there's an element of, okay, but this, if you're going to go there, you, there's, you, there's, there's danger along with it. I mean, that's kind of the whole, I mean, it's the title is a, is an apt title that it's, sure. it, it's taking risk. And of course we find out, and again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but we found out that the word business has multiple meanings in this. Of course, mm-hmm. it's, you know, risky business is a term, but we also see that, you know, in many, many ways, this is a film about Reagan capitalism. This is a film, this is a a film of its, and I, the word I'm saying, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, is I do, I think that this is, uh, uh, I, I'm showing my hands a little bit, I do think that this is a film that is, dated and aged well at the same time mm-hmm. if that's not, if that yep. makes any sense it is a time capsule mm-hmm. of a mentality and mm-hmm. i think that and this is around the time that john hughes was starting to make his films and i think this is a darker look at some of the things that john hughes was touching at i have a couple of bananas thoughts about this film which i'm gonna i'm gonna save my powder a little bit for later in the podcast <laughs> but that's a little this is about a kid who is supposedly ready to go to college and become a man but yep. has not taken any risks has done everything as mm-hmm. safe as he can be in the most safe environment under the umbrella under the protection mm-hmm. and then that is at risk he puts that all at risk and for mm-hmm. what purpose yep. and the purpose is to find that adventure but that every time that sense of risk comes to his way it is thrilling and terrifying at the same time mm-hmm. all right so anyway that's mm-hmm. uh but it's, right. it, that's my long-winded way so yes i think he's a virgin <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> I love that. That's so fantastic. All right. All right. I just, I love, I, whenever you, I just kept picturing him eating a, a TV dinner with a bottle oh, of Jack and, and a Coke. Yep. And it's like, this must be what adults do. He just kept pouring, pouring. And then finally he adds just a tiny yep. bit of Coke and it's like, we. <laughs> and then a half it's like he just doesn't even bother cooking the thing, just starts opening the TV dinner and then starts sucking on it, the icicle of mm-hmm. uh, yep. steak or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And Chris, I love Chris, that. I love that you mentioned the the idea of being a wedding staple. I've grown to really loathe the song "Old Time Rock and Roll." Uh, oh, and, me and too. Fact, <laughs> when I got married, I told the DJ that if you play "Old Time Rock and Roll," you don't get paid. I mean. I, <laughs> I wish. You, so you understand, Jay and I used to DJ weddings together. Yeah, that was, and every goddamn time, it's like, oh no, I, I don't care. Electric slide, chicken dance, fine. I don't care. You know, you want to play? Cel- you want to play celebration? Go, go, go ahead. Fine. Do it. Do do what you want. The minute I hear, dun, 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 then 
you're, 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 you're eligible you. for the Olympics because you're not getting paid here. So, um, <laughs> but, but, but with that being said, there are some pieces of music that work in context in, in a film. I think it works very well in mm-hmm. context. And one of the reasons why, and this, I don't know if this was a conscious decision, that it was not a big hit song when this film came out. It was kind of an obscure Seeger track. It became a hit song because of the mm-hmm. movie, but it was never, it was not a single or anything like that. No. But no. I think the fact that, you know, the Tangerine Dream music does, you know, root it in the 1980s. But I do like the fact, and this is actually something I liked a lot about the music in Bull Durham, which I did as a movie minute podcast. Uh, I mm-hmm. appreciated that there was the old time rock and roll and the music in Bull Durham were had a little timeless quality. Like old time rock and roll doesn't sound, it's not that they, they don't play the safety dance. You know, they're not playing the Mary Jane girls in my house. You're not playing something that is just so, you know, he doesn't like, he's not dancing across to come on Eileen. He's playing something which is, even though the song itself is about, is, is kind of out of place and has a timeless quality to it. And so it doesn't, yep. when you have the scene, which is about this sort of, cathartic i'm alone i can do whatever i want i can dance in my underwear i can Mm -hmm. jump up and down which shows one of these things which has become such a cliche it's been parodied it's been mirrored it's in every montage oh but when you see it in the context of the movie you do understand Mm -hmm. this is this kid is this sheltered not risk-taking kid who's now who Mm -hmm. has this sort of animal within him that's looking to be Mm -hmm. unleashed and he's starting in a very safe fun way Mm-hmm. But it can where it can go from there is uh, it could become dangerous. And truth be told, the first opportunity I was given where I was home alone for like and my parents went away on vacation, I absolutely danced on the furniture <sighs> just because I thought that's just what you did. And probably because I saw that one scene of this goddamn movie. But I definitely danced on the furniture. It's funny about that scene. It's not as annoying as the typical um, song that, that you normally hear at the weddings because that happens to be the live one. So there's a different energy to it. I don't know if you noticed, but like mm-hmm. you can hear the crowd. Uh, like when he starts cranking the thing oh. And, oh, yeah. and the sound of it has a different feel than the typical wedding version that we've heard since 1983. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I had yeah. a job at a place, you mm-hmm. know, it, when I was 15 years old that played that song every weekend, maybe twice a weekend, even bands performed it. It was terrible. Wow. So, but what I'm saying is that it, I didn't get the same vibe when I was hearing that it's actually like a fun moment. And by the way, it's pretty mm. iconic. If you think about the 80s, like that scene right there is Mm -hmm. extremely iconic as far as what if you're going to pick moments from the 80s, if you're even top five, that would probably be one of them as far as what represented the vibe of the 80s. Well, I also also Mm -hmm. think there's there's two elements that we look back in retrospect. One was a film that came out in 82 and was film came out in 83, where two of the biggest stars who emerged from the 80s had a iconic scene that was basically them announcing to the world that I'm a movie star. I would say mm-hmm. 48 hours with Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. doing the whole, there's a new sheriff in town, him in the redneck bar yep. is him basically mm-hmm. announcing to the world. I am a star. And this scene with Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise was a working actor. He was in taps. He was in the, the Coppola film, the outsiders. I mean, this wasn't his first movie, but this was nope. his breakout. This was his breakout. But it yep. was a moment when the minute he slid across the proscenium arch there and stopped and turned around, that was the announcement that he, I am a star. I am a movie star. And of course, that exploded in 86 when he did both Color of Money and Top Gun at the same time. Oh. But this was the moment going, okay, folks, I'm not just yep. I'm not just one of the outsiders. This is my breakout. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and, I, and, and it's, and I think that's one of the, the, the fact that he has remained such a gigantic star, um, since then and, and has had, you know, whether you, whatever you think of him as an actor, um, you know, he has made gigantic hit movies over many decades that, that makes that pronouncement of him being a star. It gives it weight and gives it a little bit of gravitas. Even if you, even if you I, think I would, he himself is a bit of a creep. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> Oh, no, the Scientology thing totally plays over the years. No, it's totally normal. I just got audited today, as a matter of fact. My thetans are on point. All right, so. That's the name of this episode, by the way. My thetans are on point. (laughs) My thetans are on point, yo. All right. So, all right. 
Oh, God. And you brought up Top Gun, and I hate Top Gun so much. Oh, I much. do, too. Oh, I I hate- and, I- oh, and, and I hated it then. I was 14. So did I. I was 14 when it came out, and I hated it. Oh, I thought it was so stupid. Thank you. But, you know, they're, they're the two films that have come out that are, like, massive hits, iconic hits that everyone seems to love but me and apparently Chris – one, one oh, of them is Top Gun. Never understood the appeal. I thought it was super dumb when I saw it. And the other was Gladiator. When I saw Gladiator, I'm like, this is dumb. This is it's a little this long. Is a big, this is a big pile of dumb. And, uh, and yeah. one best picture, I'm going, did I see a different movie? And I, and, and you know, there's sometimes I see a film, I don't quite get it the first time. Yeah. That wasn't the case with Gladiator. I saw it again and go, nope, that, that's still the same movie. They didn't change anything. That's like, like me seeing Phantom Menace three times oh, in the theater. I think, no, this is going to be good this time. You know, they say eighth <laughs> time's the charm, but, um, eighth time's the charm. but yeah, but that, that's an iconic moment, but it's, it's one of these things that you you have to put it in the context of the film. It's become iconic because it's it's so easily replicable in parodies and everything. But when you see it in context, it's like, oh, this is it's great because it's in so many ways the theme of the entire movie done in one shot mm-hmm. and sure. done without him like doing a monologue going like, oh, I need to find a way to find a outlet for these animal that no 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 pump up yeah. the bass slide across. And then (laughs) the shot where they go outside and you see him dancing around Mm -hmm. the window in the long shot was also, it's one of the things that makes this film work for me is that that worked on several levels. It's like, oh, it's funny. Yeah, he is dancing around, but it's also, he's dancing around, but within the confines of something safe. Mm -hmm. He's not unleashed. He's still in the house. He still has the trappings of a life of privilege. So and, and I'll do you one better. Even when he does go out, the only other places he goes to, except when again we're gonna get to kind of the MacGuffin on this movie in a moment, mm-hmm. is other safe space is his high school. Yeah, and it's so high school. Like he leaves a hooker in his house so he can go to high school. And Rebecca De Mornay has that line that says, "Go learn something." Yeah, go learn something. Where it's like, and he goes and I teach high school and I teach college, and it's like, yeah, like they don't get it. Like in that classroom, they think they're even if they're seniors, they think they're adults. And they absolutely have no idea what's going on, which I think is really interesting. Even when he goes out, the only other things he knows are his friends in his high school. And only when he pushes past that is he's able to develop, which I I kind of enjoy. But, okay, let's get to the MacGuffin of the movie here. Let's get what gets the ball rolling. So, Jay. Sure. We got uh, Curtis Armstrong, who is the one that's kind of, it's like his, uh, not his conscience, but more of like his. uh, The the devil on the shoulder. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The devil. So he's basically saying you really want to step outside your comfort zone so you can make some magic happen in your life. You you want to, because they're busting his balls at the card game earlier when obviously it becomes that he's not experienced in life because even when he's trying to relay a lie to them, he just bails because they just start laughing at him. He's like, forget Mm -hmm. it. So when he's hanging around with them, he pulls out this want ad for, uh, it's like all these different like personals that would be for sex that would be in the the city of Chicago or whatever. And he says, oh, how about this? And how about that? And this one likes to get spanked and whatever. So then he finally says, oh, how about this? Jackie, I'll get this girl Jackie, and uh, I'll call her up, and she'll come to your the privacy of your own home. So he was like, "Fine, I'll make the phone call." Like as he acts like he's about to call for himself, then relays a quick message that he's Joel. Come to my house tonight, and here's my address. And he hangs up and eats the classified ads, so he can't call him. Right. Yeah, that's mature. This is before you could hit redial, of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting that I was. When, when Jackie arrives at the house, and Jackie is uh, an African-American transvestite prostitute, and it's interesting that, it, yes, that's meant to be shocking, and I'm not sure if that would necessarily play in today's world, but they also don't make, they, they don't, you know, he sits there and you wonder, is he going to actually go through with it? And it's obvious yep. this is a moment where... Yes, there's this big world of sexuality, which he has to explore yet, mm-hmm. but this is the equivalent of jumping into the deep end when you when you still should have the the arm floats. The waiter. Yeah. And, yep. and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's this hint of like, yeah, there's a world out there that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and she gives him the number of Lana. Uh, Lana. And, and saying it's what all the white boys by the lake want, which is there's a hint there mm-hmm. going like, this is this is what you've been conditioned to want, 
and mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. stepping out, you're for, you're dipping your toe into the water, into the lake. And so yep. it's like, she is like, okay, I'm, if you're going to be into me, you can't, you can't go zero to 60 here. You got to, you got to build yep. yourself up to this. And, mm-hmm. and that's sort of, she acts as kind of like this first signpost for him. Like going, yeah, there's a mm-hmm. whole world out there and you may very well eventually be into something like this, but you're, you're, yep. you're not going to go, you're not going to start with me. And, mm-hmm. and that sort of stays there, like as a reminder, as he, and he kind of goes through the, and, and when I was in New York in the nineties, those existed in the back of the village voice. And they're all this sort yep. of God, no, and they, and you just sort of look at, it, and you know, that if you called up one of them, it would be not what they're advertising, or maybe you get murdered. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I can yep. honestly say I, I didn't partake, uh, m- mainly because I was terrified that you know there was a you know, I would I'd be in the back of the New York Post, like you know, with my head in a in a duffel bag or something. But yep. it as a reminder of yeah, this this curiosity that you have mm-hmm. is a phone call away. And okay, what's stopping you? Well, not your parents. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. how do you make that one goal? And of course, the other in the in the other reminder, which is very clever how they do it is he has this this bottled sexual curiosity and one of his friends from high school shows up with his girlfriend to go upstairs and stop in one of the bedrooms mm-hmm. and it's yep. this sort of reminder like okay other people are exploring this mm-hmm. some of my peers are exploring mm-hmm. this why yep. can't i and they're using my mm-hmm. house to explore it so what's stopping right. me and it's right. one of the things that makes this a really well crafted film is that they show they don't tell. They don't have mm-hmm. boring monologues. They don't have what they... I don't know if you ever listened to the Indiana Jones Minute podcast, but they have a thing which they call Johnny Says What He Sees, which you're like, look at that, car coming <laughs> yeah. out. You know, they don't, they don't... There's yeah. not a lot of Johnny Says What He Sees in this film. <laughs> um, I, I'll go one further. What I liked about that scene particularly is that when the transvestite comes up and we understand that it's an African-American transvestite and that Joel is way out of his league, there's no air of judgment about it. It's just like, I'm an African-American transvestite. I'm way out of your league. Here's what you really want. And it's, the movie doesn't make us want to laugh no, at exactly. it. No, exactly. Yeah. Which, which a cheap movie would make us want to laugh at it or do some freaking joke or like whatever. Or maybe he's already in bed and he goes and, oh my God, this isn't what I expected. Yeah. But they treat it with a lot of, as much respect as possible, which is bizarre because we have a, borderline exploitative film about prostitution but we're not we're being respectful of the people which is a really weird thing but it doesn't tell you to think that you figure that out on your own by the way it's directed and written so i give them a lot of credit for that well she's oddly comforting too yeah Yeah, yeah, like you feel like at ease like when she's chilling in the making the phone call getting her cab and you know i mean like you're not threatened in any way you're not feeling like this person's very like uh, reassuring yeah but but i'll counter to that with saying if she, but if he doesn't give her that seventy five dollars, well, someone's sure. gonna come hurt but Joel. Now, <laughs> guaranteed. But so there's that edge to it, which is really interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna skip ahead, providing most of the people listening right now have seen it. Okay, we're eventually gonna call Lana, mm-hmm. and he's gonna have sex with her. We'll get to that. But here's the thing: he just was given about, I want to say, a hundred and twenty five dollars from his parents. He spent seventy five mm-hmm. on Jackie. All right. She says, you want here, I'm going to give you something you really want. And everyone on this lake or this area wants this person. Um, How did you not figure out that she might be more money? Because all he had left yeah. was fifty bucks. I, 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 yeah, I think right. that he. Yeah. I think he has gone into this completely blind of even what the amount of money things cost. I think it's it shows his naivete. Yeah. I'm just like mm-hmm. I'm so uncomfortable at that point. It was like, holy crap! How did you not know that this person was going to be a lot more money? <laughs> We're adults. We're adults. That's why. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good point. We're adults. <laughs> He's probably point. not. He'd probably yeah. not have Oof. to pay for much of his stuff in his life. Mm. Good point. But, you know. Lana, Rebecca de Mornay, who is wonderful in the film, and not just because she's super sexy and everything, but she, there's a reality, a vulnerability, but also an otherworldliness quality. Even when she comes in, the door opens and the leaves come rustling in. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a dreamlike quality to the film. It has a couple of dream sequences in it, including the Joel get off the babysitter, like he can't even 
fantasize about women. That's you know he's trying to have he's trying to masturbate and fantasize, and even there mm-hmm. his anxieties mm-hmm. come to the forefront. But also <laughs> when he finally you know gets Becker Dormorne circa 1983 to in in the up on the stairs and you know the creature comforts of the, the home that, that that he lives in. And what mm-hmm. do they do? Do they stay on them? No, it moves over to childhood pictures. Baby, yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, a, so creepy. Like, yeah, all right. The loss mm-hmm. of innocence, right? You, this, this is the kid who's doing this in the house he mm-hmm. grew up in, and mm-hmm. this kid is gone now. This kid's a memory. We are now. Mm-hmm. You're. This is the person you're trying to leave, but you. But also, is he? Is he still a child? And it's that sort of. Mm-hmm. You're doing this in the house that you were a little kid in, you, that you were raised in, and none of this is here because of you. None of this is your accomplishments, and mm-hmm. that also that pressure of I need to make my accomplishments. I need to get into the college my dad went to. I need to do the thing that makes money. I mean, you, there's that wonderful scene when he's with his friends and Bronson Pichot, Curtis Armstrong, and everyone, and they mm-hmm. said, "Don't you want to do?" something better with your life and they're all like no we want to make money yeah and so this yep. is about people who really see tons of value their, their after school activity is to pretend they're they're entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. so he's using money that he didn't earn in a house that he didn't earn to find his gratification and i think that there's a lot of that insecurity in his character of i'm a fraud in some ways mm-hmm. but how do i detach untether myself from this but not be too far because i really really need this yeah. and mm-hmm. he can't even throughout the film he can't have sexual fantasies without being reminded of that and he can't finally have great sex without the audience mm-hmm. being reminded of that so this is yep. there's a sense that he doesn't have a great sort of complete sexual experience in this film until he's on the train and they move the drunk off the train and he can finally let loose but mm-hmm. that's when he's finally removed himself from his home he's moving away he's literally on the thing I, taking him first away. off i want to uh, yeah. throw him some kudos for lasting as long as he did for being a virgin. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. He's going two or three times. Dude, and by the hey, way, to the on. point. Right, hold, real quick, to the point where we yeah. got to witness the Star Spangled Banner on the TV, where it shut, went to snow after that. Mm. <laughs> Back in the days, if, if anybody yeah. was not familiar with the 80s, uh, certain stations would shut off at like uh, 2 in the morning or 1 in the morning, something like that, midnight, and uh, they'd play the Star Spangled Banner and they'd go to snow. <laughs> I just love that in the background while they're doing it in the chair. Yep. <laughs> Good, man. Uh, that being said, I, I think this could be a situation where we have an unreliable narrator. That's sort of, that, that, <laughs> uh, I think so. This entire film has a slightly removed from reality quality to it. And it mm-hmm. may not be as Bugs Bunny you know, or as Roadrunner-y as something like Raising Arizona, which came out not long after this, but there, there right. is an otherworldly quality to it. There is a sense mm-hmm. that this is there's a little bit of heightened reality and like even you know when we're starting to see you know what happens later in the film with the big party and with the the moving truck with all the furniture and getting all the furniture back mm-hmm. in we're compressing time and we're doing stuff that's a little that may not be 100 yeah. percent you know make it 100 percent real and so yeah i mean we're yeah <laughs> uh, i could regale stories of my first time and i bet if i if i uh, actually saw a video of it a the, how creepy would that be but also yeah i bet i was pretty terrible but <laughs> yeah but, you know but we also had when she enters the yeah, place it opens yes it's dreamlike yeah 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 i think and i think that's also one of the things we mentioned earlier with tangerine dream being the score mm-hmm. it gives everything a sense of a, a dreamlike quality to it and I mm-hmm. think that that's, it's one of the things that makes this film stand out. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> okay. Wowzers. Yeah, I agree. And also a little Freudian on the train, oh, oh, uh, if I may. Little. A little Freudian. <laughs> More than a little. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty in your face, so that's kind of funny. All right. So at this point, to get the idea is that we, we're now, we're in the ultimate adult home alone. Parents keep calling in mm-hmm. his conscience. His parents keep calling in. How's it going? Oh, I'm just washing the dishes and doing whatever. He's trying to study for finals while prostitutes are over his house. But at some point, Rebecca de Mornay has kind of squatted. Yep. Oh, sorry, Lana. Mm-hmm. I got this thing about, about the actual yeah. character names. Lana is squatting in the house. And we get the sense that she's grifting off of him a little bit. And she's using Tom. Uh, she's using Joel to get basically out from under the thumb of her pimp, Joe Pantoliano. 
who is Guido. what's his Guido. name again? Guido. Guido, Guido, of course. What? Why wouldn't it be Guido? So at some point, she has stolen the family crystal egg, which is probably worth a fortune, though we don't know how much it costs, but it's probably quite a bit, and it's more than fifty dollars. So we have squatted. She has stolen the egg. He's gonna go try to find her. In which case, she is on the run from her pimp, uh, Guido Joe Pantoliano, and now she is squatting at her home. At which point, she goes to school. When she comes back, who's in the home, Jason? Her friend Jackie. Who, no, not not Jackie. Yeah. Vicky. So who looks like Vicky. she's about forty-five from Brooklyn or something? Yes, the, that's the one with the New York accent. Even though we're in, we're in the the lake side of Chicago, she got that. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Some sort of. Art. The fartsy thing. So what I what I, what I like about this point is that now that now Guido has come to reclaim his women, who now they think that Joel is trying to steal, trying to be a pimp and steal his women. And there's a scene where Guido, who is obviously dangerous, is yelling up to his ladies up in the second <laughs> I know floor you're of Joel's home. Joel is in the front. Joel is in the front yard, like astonished at what's happening to his life to to sully's point this is what the real life is like and behind him watching are three children on bicycles (laughs) which i that was one of the few times i actually (laughs) out loud laughed in this film because it's just it gives you an idea of what we're up against we are in white suburbia in the north side of chicago with these super rich families and kids just you know this is where they (laughs) trick or treat and whatnot and you've got a pimp (laughs) Yelling at prostitutes, saying something you would imagine in the city, but it's here in our neighborhood. So is our neighborhood safe from this? I don't know. We brought it in. So Joel is really bringing in all of this bad influence in from the city, quote unquote, into his little microcosm. And now you can't unring the bell. At this point, we get the sense that we got now pimps are involved. We cannot unring this bell. We're going down this rabbit hole together and there's no coming back until something happens which I think is very interesting. I think the line that Miles says while they're being chased in the Porsche, which is, Mm -hmm. I've got a trig midterm tomorrow and I'm being chased by Guido the killer pimp. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Um, Perfectly perfectly delivered by Curtis Armstrong. And I think that that's the the film, that's the the theme of the film in one line, that I Mm -hmm. have this comfort that I have, these anxieties as a teenager, and my mm-hmm. desire to step out of the comfort zone has me in a car chase when I'm about to be murdered. You're just um, great too about that? It's just the fact what? that up until that point, Curtis Armstrong is the total badass that knows everything, does yeah. everything. Until this moment, he's like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I'm, I'm so full of shit, it's not yep. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he admits later that he admits later oh, yeah. that he is that this is like all mm-hmm. sort of this sort of suburbia bravado i'm gonna make a very very strange comparison right here but trust me this is kind of how my mind works hold on all right let me break there's a uh there's a template for successful films of the late 70s and through the 80s and i've that this film i didn't think of this until i was watching it again the other day that this film oddly mirrors and i call it the steven spielberg template and that is you take something very familiar usually suburbia Mm -hmm. or a quiet town like amity island or or just something that Mm -hmm. seems very safe and then then you insert something unusual Mm -hmm. into it and i think Mm -hmm. stephen king did this a lot too but when you think of all the Spielberg mm-hmm. films of that time, other than Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I think is basically a George Lucas film. This, but yep. if you take a shark comes to the town, the aliens land in Indiana, E.T. shows up, Poltergeist. Then you have even some of the other ones, like there's a time traveling DeLorean. We're bringing home gremlins. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a cocoon in the swimming pool. Even a film like, you know, War Games or Red Dawn, it's the same sort of thing. Like, let's take something very familiar and insert something yeah. that disrupts it. And in a way, that's a little bit of what this film is like. And that is we're Mm going to take something very familiar, this sort of suburban bliss, and we're going to take the seedy underbelly of the the world of pimps and prostitutes and drugs and all this are being inserted into this safe world. And those kids on the bike are kind of looking like, is this what's going to happen in the future? And, and and in the future, there'll be prostitutes on every corner. And it's, and it's, and it is a sign that in that, in the film that it's like, is this really what you want, Joel? 
Is this really mm-hmm. what you? Because this is this is the life that's out there. And you mm-hmm. know, jumping way ahead to the end is when he has to buy back all his furniture and everything. It's it's and buying it back from Guido is as if. I'll give you your creature comforts, but it's going to cost you all this. And it's it's a reminder mm-hmm. of this is a curiosity for you and is a reality for Lana. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you have the luxury of being able to have these creature comforts and have these have the safety net but that safety mm-hmm. net for you you know that doesn't exist for everyone and that's this is what you you want to dip your toe into this it's dangerous it costs mm-hmm. you i'll chase you with a gun you can't control it and it's the same mm-hmm. that sense of him not controlling it is of course best visually symbolized when he tries to jump on top of the porsche to stop it and then it you know nothing nothing yep. works mm-hmm. his inability to stop and control it is kind of the whole idea of the film is like yeah there's a curiosity but then that could open up something a world of hurt very dangerous a world of hurt mm-hmm. yeah i would i would ponder this i i posit this that guido was joel yeah at some point in his life and that he needs to teach Joel a lesson. He doesn't necessarily want to hurt him, but he really wants to hurt him because he took his women. But at some point he was Joel because he says, hey, time of your life. He was there. He was Joel once. Maybe not you know, the suburban Chicago, but he was Joel once. And he wants to teach them the lesson that he had to learn the hard way. He's still going to give him the hard lesson, but he could have just broken his legs. He sells him back all of his furniture to exactly the amount of profit that he had from his enterprise, which we're going to find out later is him running a, a brothel, a brothel yes. basically, right? But but he has, and he says to Joel, you know, I kind of like you. And you believe him when he says right. that, because I think he sees a little bit of him in the past. And he's like, well, I got to teach this kid a lesson. I don't really want to break his legs because I didn't want my legs broken, but I got to do something. So here's what we're going to do. And it's, it's interesting just to let him give him an idea. I never... I didn't put that connection together until just now. He's kind of old Joel after learning all of the lessons of whatever well, like dark, of the actual it's, world. It's dark Joel. It's a it's the, the dark future of Joel because mm-hmm. you know, Joel essentially becomes a pimp in this film as well. I mean, there, there are yep. two pimps in this mm-hmm. film, really kind of mm-hmm. three because Lana acts like a pimp towards the end. <laughs> but it's with it's, the hat. This is where this goes. Mm-hmm. I'll sell you back your furniture, but this is mm-hmm. where this goes. Mm-hmm. It's funny that David Geffen, uh, who ran at the time the Geffen Film Company, which produced this film for Warner Brothers, yep. wanted them to fire Joe Pantoliano. He did not like his performance when he saw the dailies, and he didn't think he was scary enough. He wanted more of a someone you would probably see in The Godfather. You know, he wanted to see like yep. a, a real kind of Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I was going to say some you'd see in The Sopranos, but Joe Pantoliano was wonderful in The Sopranos. So that's a yeah. bad, that's yeah. a bad analogy. But yeah. but they thought of him more like more like a big, huge, tough guy. And he thought that Joe mm-hmm. Pantoliano, who is an amazing that guy. I mean, he's wonderful. He's in one of my favorite comedies of all time, uh, Midnight Run. Midnight Run. Is, yeah. Yes. Midnight Run. What my my thoughts? And by the way, Midnight Run. There are two types of people in the world: people who love Midnight Run and people who haven't seen Midnight Run. There is no <laughs> Midnight Run is go. Oh, there's agree. no third. Oh, there's God. no third category. So goddamn good. But, All right, sorry. But the fact that he the fact that he isn't a leg breaker, the fact that he isn't that he is kind of weaselly and everything, is this sign to Tom Cruise's character Joel to say, "Yeah, this is what you could be." This is mm-hmm. you, the the path to becoming this guy is a pretty straight line for you, mm-hmm. and just to keep that in mind, and yeah. and the fact that Joe Pantoliano never like he you know, he puts his arm around, he he is the threatening character, but he says you seem like mm-hmm. a smart kid, I like you, as if he says, mm-hmm. yeah, I I do see a lot. It is a warning for him. It's one of the things that makes this film work on on about ten different levels at the same time. Sure. All right. In order to get to the big brothel, we need to have something bad happen to the Porsche. <laughs> so they're going out yeah. to they go yeah. out for ice cream, getting high and uh, talking with Lana, basically saying, you know, asking her some questions. She's like, ask me anything. And then gets insulted after the first two questions. <laughs> and then, so she leaves. She went right. She went to uh, grab her jacket or something or put something in the car. 
and and she yeah. uh, his jacket and then she his jacket puts the um the stick shift into uh, neutral and then next thing you know the thing is rolling down the hill towards a dock which obviously uh, you had you had mentioned he jumps onto the Porsche to stop it because at first mm-hmm. he's throwing I, I'm not, I'm with him man the whole time I'm like please stop it even though I I know it's going in anyway <laughs> like I'm going through the the emotions though like mm-hmm. come on just just yeah. just dig your feet in oh so uh, you see it go down the hill and just mm-hmm. it's great because they save you for about half a second and then the thing goes into the yeah <laughs> he's like yeah it's 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 yeah. phenomenally oh. timed it's phenomenally timed mm-hmm. and and well, let's give credit where credit's due i mean cruz is is amazing in that. i mean he's great in this movie altogether but mm-hmm. he's amazing yep. in that scene where you just feel the desperation he he he's not don knots in this scene you know he his desperation and anxieties are real you feel that mm-hmm. this is his father's car he wasn't supposed to take it at all <laughs> so now it's heading no. towards certain destruction and he is doing anything he can because he didn't really want to do anything bad to the car he just wanted to take it out and look cool that's it he didn't yeah. want anything you know yeah. and, and now it's about to like and this is not a cheap vehicle so a, as he's going down it's like everything is going wrong this is my father he loves his father yeah and it's the symbol of everything that is uh lana has the line of don't want to be judged as you're leaning against your father's forty thousand mm-hmm. dollar car you haven't accomplished right. anything and so and he knows yeah. that and he's been called out on that and the symbol of that is about to go into mm-hmm. lake michigan so uh, mm-hmm. it adds to the anxiety. It's wonderful. It's reality. It's playing it for the real, which is which makes it stand mm-hmm. out. So let's get to the. Uh, so the car is going in the drink. We got to fix mm-hmm. the car. So Tom Cruise, being the young entrepreneur that he is, decides that on the behest of Lana, we are going to start this brothel because you've got a lot of high school kids that have a lot of cash, and all of them mm-hmm. are horny. And so we're going to bring them all over to the house and we're going to have Balgibar Takamos be the treasurer and charge. He's amazing. He's fantastic in this. He's fantastic in Beverly Hills Cop. He's also, I mean, he's, Mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, he's very funny in Perfect Strangers. I mean, like, it's easy to to laugh at that. Oh, yeah. He he went through a period where he was a go-to guy in comedies and he's very, very good. So let's, let's, uh, I'm tipping your hat to Bronson Picho because he's, he's a talent. Dude. He was also in Langoliers and he played a psychopath. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember that as well. So anyhow, the idea is that we have this massive raging party, which no cops show up to, oh, which is bizarre. It's a white neighborhood. Uh, I, that's valid point. Valid point. But even in, even in a John Hughes film, uh, but that uh, many vehicles just lining the street, and it was it was not quiet. It was not a quiet no. scene. And by the way, no, gotta say, I love the scene. First off, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but in the interview, when he's having the Princeton interview, the kid that taps on the window. Mm-hmm. No, listen, this is my cousin Ruben. Uh, he's from Skokie. Hey, Jimmy, you can get him in Jimmy, tonight. N- not now, okay? Well, he's got to be back by twelve o'clock. All right, later, guys. All right. <laughs> this little cousin. It looks yeah. like he's about twelve. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's got to be home by twelve o'clock. Yeah. He's going to be home by midnight. By the way, uh, I want to give a shout out to the, in the music they play, my favorite band, which is Talking Heads, and they play the song Swamp, which is not a, uh, mm-hmm. it was featured in Stop Making Sense and from their album Speaking in Tongues, but it was never a big hit. So it's, I just, I always mm-hmm. like it when a director goes to a deeper cut instead of being like, oh, we'll play Talking Heads, Bring we'll play down Burning Down the House or Psycho yeah. Killer. No, they played Swamp, mm-hmm. which fits, mm. but if but it fits the uh, the feel of this. Yeah, it's when she's you know they played Prince, but they didn't. Play, she's walking through the room. They didn't play Little Red. That's when she's walking through the yeah. room with her little pimp hat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love you know. the pimp hat. So we've got this rager going on, and everybody's having sex everywhere. And Tom Cruise is now suddenly. Did anybody uh, notice a guy going down the stairs that looked like Jerry Seinfeld, like a young Jerry Seinfeld? What's the deal with this brothel? I mean, come on. I can't believe it. But anyway, so so I, I did not notice the Jerry Seinfeld clone. I'm sorry. I did not I did not see that. Uh, Tom Cruise has canvassed the town saying, if you know, you paid so much for your regular date, why don't you and you get nothing out of it? Why don't you just yeah. come to my house? And makes eight grand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how well, he's gotta pay he's gotta pay the ladies, gotta pay, but he gets enough money to make a profit. And basically it seems oh, he gets his egg back from Lana. And now he's got to fix the Porsche. He fixed the Porsche. And that's where we come to the point of the movie where he's counting his money. He realizes that his house is now empty. Like, you'd be surprised that 
nothing in this home was destroyed once. No puke, no booze, no nothing. But anyway, so it comes back. Guido steals all of his furniture. He's got to sell it back to Guido, which we, we already went over. But effectively, the end of the movie, as far as I'm concerned, is your kind of Tom Cruise has kind of come into his own. He's acting as an adult. The last scene is him walking through a park in Chicago with Lana, who he asked flat out, did you play me this entire time? Does he really want no, the answer? But uh, and I don't think he doesn't want to know. We also see the end results of the entrepreneurs and each are having like, mm-hmm. we made a towel dispenser. We made this and we made a profit yep. of $500. And of course he, mm-hmm. Joel says that he, deals in human fulfillment and he made a profit of eight thousand dollars in one night and it's a very it's kind of the the tone of the film right there is that what is it saying about capitalism right there what is it saying about that sort of mentality of these kids who say Mm -hmm. i just want to make money when they were high schoolers who should be the most idealistic kids coming right out there in the middle of Mm Reagan america saying we're not hippies. This is not the big chill. This is not, not, we want to make money. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that Paul Brickman, the director said that in many ways, this film was a response to the graduate and in the graduate, um, Mm -hmm. Ben Braddock is told, you know, to look into plastics. And that was a big laugh because it was looked upon as, you know, Ben, Ben's not going to just do something cheap and that just to make money, something artificial like plastic. And Paul Brickman said, mm-hmm. these kids would say, plastic's a great idea. How, how can I make money off of it? Yeah. And Let's do plastic. And also by including Joel's Hall with everyone else, it's basically saying, why is mine worse? If the goal is to make money, then yep. I made the most. And I saw there was a product. Yep. I saw there was a need. I saw the right customers. These kids mm-hmm. were able to go cash in all their, you know, their mm-hmm. bonds for the, in a card that they're saying, "I love you for a great future, Grandma." You're using that to, to have sex. Yep. And um, yep. why is that's basically what we're doing? And to sort of yep. again link Joel back to Guido. It's like, is that what Guido's doing? Mm-hmm. Is that what Lana's doing? We're yep. selling. We're selling. We're making yep. money. And yeah, you can pat yourself on your back that you made a towel dispenser, but if the if the applause mm-hmm. line is based upon the profit, and if that's what you're going yep. for, then then where's the boundary? Yeah, the, the boundary is probably Jackie. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. But yeah. I mean that there's a there's a lot going on there below the surface. You could watch this film just as a comedy and walk away completely mm-hmm. entertained. You can walk it. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about was this film dated or not. I don't know if this was before or after you you hit record or not, but it was. Uh, I said this is a. It is both dated and timeless. It's it's a time capsule. It's a mm-hmm. time capsule of a mentality. It's a time capsule of a generation of kids who are saying, well, "We're not going to be hippies saying peace, love. We want to just we want what our parents have. We want these big houses too. This is what we want. We mm-hmm. want to earn this." Mm-hmm. And so if right. that's your motivation, then why not be a pimp? Mm-hmm. And with that, <laughs> let's go to final judgment. <laughs> we, and with that, we should go ahead yeah. and we'll go okay. to final judgment. It's time now for final judgment. Are you ready to rubber stamp this bitch? Here's the final judgment. So now you've heard how we thought about the movie and now it's time for final judgment. So at this point, our goal is to, I think we know how we can get a sense of what we felt about the film, but uh, we want to see if it actually holds up to the test of time. Was it good then? Is it good now? So on and so forth. So we're going to turn to our guest first. We want to thank again for being here. So Sully, what do you think? What's your take? Does this movie hold up over the past 40 plus years? Well, I did mention that I do think that this is a, a time capsule film more than anything. It is if you there are certain films that you look at going that is a product of the '80s, that is a product of its time. You can certainly say that about certainly other other movies. I'm going to compare this film, and there's a reason to my madness here. I'm going to compare this film to another comedy that came out in the '80s, and that is Big. And sure. the reason why I link those two together is that when Risky Business came out, there was a ton of sex comedies: Porky's, Private School, Zapped, Hots, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of other films that we'll all pretend we never saw. And mm-hmm. um, they basically were about horny teens wanting to stub and how do i go i just want to find any way to get laid and in the mm-hmm. middle of it is risky business which on the surface is exactly that 
but it has more to say. It's done more artistically. It's done with more care. And it asks the question, what would they really think? Not just have it be Scott Bale looking at someone in the dress fly up like a zap, but what are the anxieties you would feel? What are the pressures that you would feel? What are the th- what are the things stopping you? And big in the same way is that there were a bunch of films about kids switching bodies or a grown-up suddenly being a kid or kids being grown up, whether it was vice versa or 18 again. And there was the... Um, like Father, like, like Father, like Son. Thank you. And those were all completely forgettable. And the middle of it was mm-hmm. big, which said, no, what would you really think? And that they mm-hmm. both are both are very, very funny movies. But they were they were a lot more craft and care and said, no, 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 no. Let's really ask that question. Uh, I think there are two teenage sex comedies that hold up extraordinarily well from the early 80s. This film and Fast Times at Richmond High are the two that survive, I think, because they're well-written, they're well-performed, and they, they're they saying more than just, let's fuck. And mm-hmm. this film takes that, it, it connects it to that Reagan America, let's just go make money. And the fact that he's able to fail upwards. He's able, the doors are opening wide into Princeton. That we're basically, what this is basically, we're watching Brett Kavanaugh in this film. That this is, <laughs> is, is, this is Hey, he's a, he's a keg half full kind of okay, guy. Okay, fair right? enough, fair enough. <laughs> Curtis, maybe Curtis, Curtis Armstrong's character is, is Kavanaugh. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but we're seeing, I think it works because there's more than just the surface. And, and also it's well-written. It's incredibly well shot. The look of it is gorgeous yeah, and I still agree. holds up. Cruz is very, very good. Rebecca de Mornay is very good. Pantoliano, Richard Mazur, who plays the Princeton admissions advisor. He's a great that guy and always just, he plays it completely straight. And like the scene with Jackie, like he doesn't sort of say, what's going on with all these nudes? He just plays it through. No, this is how I'm going to go through it. He plays it very straight. And Jackie, mm-hmm. it's never like, what? You're a transvestite? Like, no, the actor who plays mm-hmm. Jackie plays it very straight. And so therefore mm-hmm. it allows you to say, it gives the film, it grounds the film. And yet there's also a dreamlike quality to it. There were not a lot mm-hmm. of films like this. And so I mm-hmm. think it stands out as a great time capsule, a great star-making turn for Tom Cruise. And the humor is not about, it's not joke, 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 joke comedy. Mm-hmm. It's character-based. Yep. It doesn't assume I'm stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like that. Cool. All right. So I'm going to agree with Sully on a lot of points. Uh, it was very well written. It is very well directed. It did have this ethereal quality to it. It looked like I was watching somebody else's life as fantastical or not fantastical as it is. I thought it was really well shot. It was a pretty movie to watch. You didn't want to not watch it. There's nothing too explicit going on, even though it was about prostitutes. A couple of nude scenes, but nothing like out of control. Even the, the ladies of the night were like dressed well-respected. Like they weren't like gross street walkers. Right, right, right. Like, right, you know right. what I mean? So at least they had some modicum of self-respect. I guess my only issue with this movie is with any of these movies from the 80s is that we have 16 and 7. I know that some of the points were funny, but it made me cringe a little. And I know that's the point. I get it. But I just don't think you can release a movie now with high school kids going to brothels. I just, I just don't think it's going to fly. I think if they make this movie again, if they remade it, I think it would make people go more than, even though the rest of it's beautiful and whatnot, I think it's going to make a lot of, it would make a lot of people cringe. I think if you redid this movie with like a, not an animal house fraternity, but like some lonely college kid, at least a little bit older, like 2021, like it wouldn't make, it just, a lot of times it just maybe cringe because Typically in the 80s, we get these high school, these high school guys, they're being played by 23 year olds. They're supposed to be 17. They look 23. And it does at the time, it didn't make you wonder, like, God, they look kind of old. But in this movie, except for Tom Cruise and maybe Curtis Armstrong or all the minor players from high school that were coming to the brothel, they all looked about 14. <laughs> and not just not, that's not me being a 40 year old, like the weird kid that went to the the hooker Vicky at the beginning and had the curly hair and the gap teeth. I'm like, Oh my God. Like this just, it kind of made you go like, it made you laugh, but it made you go. Ugh. And I guess that's the only part of this that I think doesn't fly today is that you don't have high school kids going to the brothel. You have like a, like a, it becomes a college scene, not even class, which is prep school. I'm talking like college, like maybe like a Midwestern college in the middle, maybe near Chicago, but they're going to set it in a college setting. Cause I don't think people are going to digest 
the college, the high school kid going to brothel thing. I think mm-hmm. you can tell the same story with a sophomore in college, a junior in college who is about to, you can still be in a comfort zone and you can still have all the same things, just not for ugh, <laughs> kids coming in to go find hookers. That's all. What Sully says is correct. I think it holds up as a time capsule. It doesn't look super dated, even though it is dated. So I think it holds up in that regard. I just think the piece where if you changed it from high schoolers to college, you could be able to, you could not remake this movie, but you could have the same theme movie. And I think it would be people will respond to it better these days. That's just my gut reaction is I'm here for gut reaction. That's my gut reaction. All so, right, brother. Jason. All right. Well, I would say I'm going to say it, it holds up in the manner that I felt uneasy back then. And I feel uneasy now when I watch it, meaning mm-hmm. the tension is there regardless of when I was watching it. So, you yeah. know, like you were talking about Joe versus the volcano, it'll be misunderstood yeah. back then and misunderstood now, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So yep. on that level, I want to say it holds up for the fact that it, none of the things he was doing was comfortable. Like I wasn't comfortable mm-hmm. when he was ordering a prostitute or getting a, a whole gang yep prostitutes in his house uh, it's like sure. I, and, and today i'm sitting there watching them all smoke and drink inside that house and i'm like mm-hmm. how could the parents not recognize the amount yeah. of smoke that was being you know yeah. thrown around or you know the, that smell doesn't go away in in no. 24 hours <laughs> no sir so uh, nope. but but i'm saying like you know obviously we're in a we're in a, a fun film so we're just gonna go sure okay uh, yeah. not fun mm-hmm. like you know roll out roll out comedy but like you know i'm saying like i really believe like i said i i was uncomfortable then but still interested and i'm Mm -hmm. still feeling similar so in that sense it's kind of timeless Uh, some uh, real quick interesting facts i found it funny when i looked it up the original working title while while it was being filmed was white kids by the lake (laughs) (laughs) wow Thank God they changed it. Wow. No, what a terrible. It was like so and, and if I'm wrong, it's it's then it's white boys by the lake. Uh, it, regardless, white kids. By That's the worse. Lake. Yeah, no, I think it's wow. White kids. Yeah. Uh, very terrible. That was Thank God yep. it changed the. Uh, so that's that's funny. But here's another interesting fact as well. Ray-Ban Wayfarers, the, mm-hmm. uh, they weren't, they were basically discontinuing them. Ray-Bans were actually starting to lose sales until this movie comes out. Their sales yep. of Wayfarers went up about 40%. Wow. Just based no, on this film good. alone. I mean, it just, it's just funny what an impact something like this can have. I mean, obviously. What about, you know, what about Fruit of the Loom Whiteys? <laughs> What about tidy whiteys? Did those sales know. go up too, or Oxford shirts or prostitution? Oh, I mean, what? All right, sorry. Oh, so yes, yeah, so it's a lot of fun in that film. So uh, that wraps up risky business, and I gotta say, I really had a great time having Sully oh, here, man. I mean, thank you so much for being our first oh, guest ever. <laughs> ever, it's first. Or Just ever. So, but uh, mm-hmm. really, it's it's been a blast, man. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. This is a film that I I I didn't see in the theater. I was too young to see in the theater, but I did see it on cable. Me too. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to guess 88, 89. I saw it, mm-hmm. and and that was around the time I was really starting to become a serious film watcher, mm-hmm. and uh, it blew me away because I thought it was I thought I was about to watch Porky's, mm-hmm. and instead I saw yeah. I saw this. Yeah. And um and I and I, and I hadn't seen it from beginning to end until uh, early earlier this week. Uh, I had only seen it the one time. Wow. Um. I re- and mm-hmm. I had seen it in pieces, but I'm not seen from sat down from beginning to end since mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. since the late '80s. And um, I was thrilled to see how well it held up. That it's still a really good quality movie. But hey, thank you for inviting me to be here. I I really really appreciate it. All right. Awesome. If you want to if you want to if you want to follow me, follow. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, and you can also follow my podcast at Locked on MLB on all your podcast catchers if, you, if you're if you into awesome. baseball. And I am. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to check you out on Twitter right now, and thanks again, Sully. We appreciate it. All right. 
Great to see everyone. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. That was Sully, everybody. I was so glad that he could show up for uh, for our class. We, we got to do that more often. We got to find other people, other poor schmucks that are going <laughs> to, no, I'm kidding, that we can tie down for an hour and a half and talk about a movie. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, you want to follow us on uh, Where Are the Film Crickets? Uh, follow us on Twitter. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all your friends about us. Again, you can listen on Apple. We got a rate and review, right? Rate and review, all right. Yeah. So at Film Crickets, you can add us. You can email us, Film Crickets 8099 at gmail.com that's our uh, i said dot com i'm gonna say that again you can email us at <laughs> we were just talking film, about film it Rob. i know um uh, uh film crickets 8099 8099 at gmail.com we'd love to see what you think about the show again leave us some comments on twitter leave us some comments on apple rate and review all that sort of stuff yeah. so coming up next week got the holidays we got the holidays coming up no what? we got some really great uh reviews on apple so far uh uh, we have eight of them so far and they are all five stars. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, we'll have to, maybe next week we can read some because they're pretty awesome. All right, cool. Next week, we're going to do our holiday extravaganza. So the film crickets. So we're just going to kind of get to know us episode. We're going to talk about our, our lives and uh, our friendship and talk about what we do at Christmas and how we feel about Christmas, maybe some Christmas movies in there, just kind of be festive in general. So uh, that'll be our podcast next week. Until then, that was Sully. I'm Chris. This is Jay Fortier. And we were the Film Crickets. And again, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.